0: You know, it's one of my greatest joys, as I said before, uh, of leadership is, is certainly to see people come alive. Um, as they become like, more and more aware of how God's made them uh, and how he can be so creative and he can draw out these things from their lives and just birth new things. I just love to see God fill people and empower them. And in fact, that's kind of been my catch cry for the last couple of weeks. Starting out the year, 2024, uh, I, I want to empower people to run like the wind. That's how I keep on going in my mind. I empower people to run like the wind. You know, we're all a beautiful part of this body of Christ here at Clayton. Um, God has given us many beautiful gifts, created us just the way he wanted. And to see those those dreams well up from within and those gifts come to the fore is just a dream of mine as a pastor and something that I love so much. So I started kind of that, that's you know, in this this time with God series, that's where I kind of started. I just really felt like I just wanted to speak along these lines of empowering people, people's dreams, whatever God had placed on their heart. So I was thinking down that direction and very quickly I realized that dreaming um, was potentially not the problem here. Many of us have dreams and many of us have hopes and stirrings that God has placed in our hearts for years. But the real problem is in overcoming the giants that stand in the way. Overcoming those limitations that block our view of God. We need to be able to see as God sees. And you see that that is the title up on the screen there. See as God sees. See as God sees. So this message is more about perspective more than anything else. Seeing our challenges from God's perspectives. Moving through to those things that he has laid on our hearts. The the lands that he wants us to conquer. But seeing as God sees so that we can move through. And sometimes, you know, we've got to get a new perspective on things and we need to see things from God's perspective. Amen? See things from God's perspective. You know, on Friday I was looking for my Bluetooth headphones. Uh, I could hear music playing in them. You know, those kind of over-ear headphones. But I couldn't find them anywhere. Uh, It wasn't until I was driving my son Noah to work and he said, why have you got your headphones on your head? Now, in my defense, I had a hat on and the headphones were kind of sitting up there so I couldn't feel them. But the point was that he had a different perspective than I had. I knew they were there somewhere. I could hear them. In this case, Noah was looking from a different perspective and he could clearly see the true state of things even though I couldn't. I just love it when people see (laughs) Wade. <laughs> I love it when people see beyond impossibilities to see God's vision. You know, uh, as, as we've already said, we've sat with Stephen Jacob in the last weeks, and we've heard more of his story and led him uh, to see what what it might be if he applied for this role. Uh, Pastor Penin and I have sat with Christine, who's just started uh, last week as our new communications coordinator, and we heard some of the ways that God had to speak to her to get over some hurdles to say, I'm going to step forward into this. She had to see from God's perspective. I had an in-depth phone call uh, a couple of weeks ago with a young adult from our church who who quit his job before Christmas and shipped himself off to Hawaii uh, to join mission for six months at YWAM. Uh, sounds like a terrible thing, Hawaii, for missions. But all of this was almost unknown to us us as leaders in the church. This guy was so impacted by uh, the word of God in his life that he was just taking a step. And all of those things that seemed to be hurdles there, he saw as God saw, and he just pursued them. And he stepped forward and now he's sitting there in Hawaii under the coconut tree learning about Jesus. (laughs) Praise God. And I heard of a lady in our church that's been writing devotional thoughts down for years. Not wanting or expecting anyone to see them. But a dear friend of hers saw the potential to minister to others and encouraged her to produce a book, a booklet. And give it to others and her friends at Christmas. And she was multiplying that gift, and blessing others. Sometimes there's hurdles that we've got to overcome and we've got to see as God sees, amen, so that we can step forward into where he's taking us. I really want to encourage you with this message and I really want to encourage you to see as God sees, see the world from his perspective and see the world when you step out in obedience. So to do this, we're going to focus on Caleb, Specifically in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And uh, I want to unpack how Caleb, he had a different perspective. How Caleb, he had a different response. And how Caleb had a different spirit. God noticed these things in Caleb. And in his friend Joshua. And they were the only two in that generation allowed into the promised land. God saw How Caleb saw, as he saw. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we want you to speak now. Less of me, much, much less of me. Much, much more of you. Holy Spirit, will we, in our posture, have our hands open wide, in our hearts, our hearts open wide to receive your word to hear how it may be speaking to us today. We trust that you want to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let me set the scene in Numbers 13. Uh, The Israelites, they'd left Egypt for about two years before all sorts of things had happened. They'd both been obedient and they have been disobedient to God in this time. But they find themselves on the edge of the Promised Land. Uh, They could literally see... That place flowing with milk and honey. And it was a land that God had promised them. This wasn't just wishful thinking. God had promised them this land. And so in Numbers 13, the Lord said to Moses, send some men, one leader from every tribe to represent the whole of Israel, uh, to explore the land of Canaan. So 12 men were chosen. Uh, Two of those guys were Caleb and Joshua. Now, this whole discovery tour it took uh, about forty days to complete, and they walked four hundred kilometres—long way. Who's ready for a four hundred kilometre walk tomorrow? Yeah, I think Simon, our our, our uh, the, the guy that does triathlons. Yeah, I think he's ready for it. But it's a long way these had these guys had to go. So just keep in mind that. Also, that often in the Bible, a period of 40 days is associated with testing. Uh, you remember that the Israelites, they were in the desert for 40 years. Uh, Jesus was in the wilderness being tested for 40 days. So, so it's quite likely from the word go, uh, this scoping tool was more than gathering uh, just some photos and a few souvenirs. It was putting the representative, representatives from the whole of Israel to the test to see who saw the land like God saw the land. Were they going to trust that promise that they received back in Exodus 3? Or were they going to trust their eyes? Who out of these 12 spies saw like God saw? So if we look at Numbers chapter 13 and starting from verse 17... It says when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season of the first ripe grapes. So just to summarize what happened, they set out and they went through the land, seeing the various people uh, people groups, and they finally got to the valley of Eshkol where they saw some of the bountiful, beautiful produce. Uh, So they cut off a, a large single cluster of grapes, so big, so big that two spies had to carry it back on a pole in between them. That's a big bunch of grapes. Massive bunch of grapes. Imagine the arguments between them. Now, I don't want to do that. You know, you carry the grapes. So I carry the pomegranates, you carry the figs, I'm going to carry the grapes. And uh, you can imagine what was happening along the way. Whoever got chosen as the grape carrier were just, just like we do in the supermarket, we eat one grape by one grape. And by the, t- the end of it, we get to a small little bunch of grapes. Oh, yeah, this is the big bunch of grapes. The main point is that there was some beautiful, juicy pomegranates. There was amazing figs. There was grapes. This land was as good as promised. It was unbelievable. And moving on to verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live there, and the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Now the other spies, they obviously pushed back and said, no way, we can't attack those people. They're absolute giants. They're said to be the Nephilim, uh, these these, these fallen angels that are huge and strong and we felt like grasshoppers before us and that's how they saw us. They were going to squash us in a moment, under their sandals. Now, how on earth, I ask you today, how on earth could ten of those spies, when everyone saw the same thing, the same fertile land, the same beautiful red pomegranates and grapes as big as oranges, but their conclusions were so different? One group resulted in panic. One group, which was only two of them, resulted in confidence and peace. And what made this difference? It lay in this. That the ten spies compared themselves with the giants, whilst the two, Caleb and Joshua, compared the giants with God. The ten spies compared themselves with with the problem at hand, and the two compared the giants, the problems, with God. Caleb right there, was looking from a different perspective. He was seeking to see as God sees. You know, on New Year's Eve, uh, we had a a special time going around the table with the the families that we were with and sharing our highlights from 2023. And uh, it it got to my turn and and I, I picked two. We were only supposed to share one, but I picked two. The two highlights that I brought up um, was, first of all, it was just seeing a move of the Holy Spirit in this church in 2023 that that I didn't know or expect. or It was just a beautiful thing. And I just, as I shared before, just love seeing people come face-to-face with the person of the Holy Spirit like never before. That was my number one highlight of 2023. And the secondly, my highlight of 20. 23 was that our business that we are still operating in the background, uh, had a greater percentage profit than we'd ever had for many years, and all in the time that I'm act- not actively involved in it. Now, maybe that says something about me. Uh, effectively, it is doing better without me. <laughs> God bless you, Wade. Now, why is that significant? It's so significant to me because I had a few very well-meaning people assure me in the early days of coming into this pastoring gig here at the church that very few, if any, people can extract a founder from the business and it still survive. I was the founder of the business. I'm being extracted from the business. And it's not just surviving. It's going like this. Now, that may be the stats that very few will survive. But for Sam and I, we needed to move towards uh, what God was calling us to. And he would enable it. And he has, and I believe he will continue to do so. And what's more, in the void that's been created by me being extracted from the business... It's launched other people into that void to be able to seek God and do what God has called them to do. God is always in the business of helping us to run like the wind, empowering us and setting us forward and sending us on. So it comes down to perspective. Do we compare ourselves with the giants in our lives? Or do we compare ourselves with the giants with God? You know God was, was so much in this. God was so much in what he was doing in numbers chapter 13. And in the Exodus three, he promised Israel and he gave countless reminders through early books of the Bible that he would deliver them into a spacious land. God knew when the promise was made earlier that these big, strong t- tribes, they were already there. He knew. It's like it, didn't, it wasn't surprising to him. These big strong tribes were there. But despite God's faithful promise, the bulk of the spies still continue to see from their perspective that the people who dwell in the land are strong. Despite God's faithful promise, they continue to see that the cities are fortified and very large. Despite God's faithful promise, uh, they continue to see that the Amalekites, they dwell there. The Hittites, the Jebusites and the Amorites, they dwell there. And the Canaanites dwell in the land and there's just no room for Israel. But I just love Caleb's spirit in all of this. Such confidence in in his God, such a different perspective. You know, the NIV says that he, he silenced all the people. He silenced all the people before Moses and other versions say that he quietened the people. And I imagine in a steady and a sure tone, he just said, we should go up and take possession of this land for we can certainly do it. Because in his mind, he could see that God was with him. He could see as God sees. You know, it took such great courage for this man to stand up against the tide of unbelief. You know, if we just pause for a moment and we just think about this situation, it was not a throwaway line that he was giving. It was not just wishful thinking. He was aware that if God doesn't show up in this situation, that they are dead. But Caleb's faith... In the promises of God were as clear as sight, and he was so confident. Caleb had the spirit of Romans chapter 3 and verse 4, where Paul says, uh, Let God be true, but every man a liar. Let God be true, but every man a liar. Ultimately, faith is not rooted in circumstance or environment, faith is rooted in a heart that trusts God's and his promises. Amen? You know, church, today we need to stand against the tide. Two men versus 10, that kind of thing. We need to be willing to take the hard road, knowing full well we might be heading directly into war and and into the unlikely place that if God does not turn up, we are dead. Today I feel very strongly that I need to challenge every young person here that you would stand against the tide of the crowd. Looking so different from the world and standing up for Jesus. Knowing that he is the truth and his promises are yes and amen. And that he honours those who set their heart on him. And today also I really want to speak to those that are facing significant sickness and mental illness. The medical professionals may say the giants can't be overcome. Would you compare your prognosis to God? Knowing that he is more than able to heal and sustain you through the battle, all the while giving glory back to him. And today, church, we are not dead, as the world may suppose. Ten fearful men might make a lot of noise, but it just takes a few good men and women who know God is alive and that he is still moving and he is building his kingdom to change the world. Amen? We need to see as God sees. We need to see and have a different perspective. So, continuing on that night, all the members of the community, they wailed and they wept. uh, A great noise. They grumbled at their leaders, saying, if only we'd stayed in Egypt and died there of old age, rather than being brought out into the desert. It's far better than the certain death that the Lord seems to be taking us towards. In fact, let's choose some new leaders. Let's choose some new leaders that will do what they want us to do. So they started talking about choosing, you know, replacing Moses and Aaron. And It kind of sounds like Australian politics, you know. If we don't like them, let's replace them and still not get anywhere. But these Israelites, they were weeping over the false belief that God was setting them up for defeat. To weep and grumble, boy, that annoys me. It's always based in control and in self-reliance. And quite simply, it's annoying. I don't think I like grumbling. I used to get so annoyed at school camp when my peers would grumble about every meal that we were sitting down to eat, just because they could. Why couldn't they just be thankful? But I tell you to weep and lament, now that's something different. To weep and lament on your knees before God, that's a different response. Because that is based in repentance and it's based in submission to God. And that's where our main man of God and his friend Joshua, son of Nun, they find themselves, they're on their knees. Tearing their clothes, lamenting the state of the people. And again, in and an absolute declaration of boldness, They get up and they speak to the whole Israelite assembly in Numbers 14. They say, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Imagine standing up, you've had a group, a whole of Israel standing there, weeping, making an absolute racket for hours on end, all overnight, and then suddenly you stand up and you're going to give a different report. It took some guts. And this is what they said. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into this land. A land flowing with milk and honey. And will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land. Because we will devour them. And another version says uh, the people are like bread. And how many know the bread can't fight? Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent meeting to the Israelites. Now these guys, were the, they were students of history, Caleb and, and Joshua. Students of history, students of the word, they knew what God had promised in Exodus three and in many other places. They they had seen how God had already delivered them multiple times in the two years in the in the wilderness. That God has done it before, and He can do it again. These guys were giving a totally different response to the situation. They were speaking prophetically to the people, although they weren't particularly known as prophets. They were calling people back to God to love and obey him and that is effectively the role of the prophet and unfortunately what seems to happen in prophets in in the Old Testament people seem to want to kill them and that's what was happening here they were readying themselves, picking out stones ready to kill these guys these rebellious unbelieving people could not endure these, this, these men of faith who had come with a challenge of faith. They just couldn't endure it. But I so love what happens next. It's as if God says to his angels, how can I show my presence? Uh, how can I show my presence uh, that dwells with these men of faith and not with the men of unbelief? And God says, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to appear in all my fullness in all my glory in front of these Israelites. And in Numbers 14 10, that's exactly what happened. Now it does not say what the glory of the Lord would do, but it isn't hard to understand. The actions of the fear uh, and the, the feelings of the ten unbelieving spies and the great majority of Israel were not consistent with the glory of the Lord. So to have the presence of God and in an inconsistent view of who God was like was like a massive conflict right there in that space and it would have shown them that they are not a believing people. It was not consistent with the glory of the Lord to be unbelieving. It was not consistent with the glory of the Lord to mourn because the walk of faith was difficult. It was not consistent with the glory of the Lord to long for death and that's exactly what they were doing. It is not consistent with the glory of the Lord to accuse God of plotting murder because that is not his heart. It was not consistent with the glory of the Lord to desire to go back to slavery when when God had rescued you from that place. It was not consistent with the Lord to reject God's leaders. It was not consistent with the glory of the Lord to threaten to kill those who called them to a deeper trust in God the question I ask you today as I ask myself this is how many of these responses am I guilty of? How many are you guilty of? The when the walk of faith is difficult. Rejecting perhaps God's leaders. To desire to go back to the slavery that God rescued you from because it's far easier. Go with what you know, and yet to be like Caleb and Joshua, their different, their different response welcomed the glory of God to show up. It aligned with their response. It is consistent with the glory of God to trust His promises. It is consistent with the glory of God when we walk in faith despite difficulty. It is consistent with the glory of God when we break chains with whatever has enslaved us and refuse to return. It is consistent with the glory of God when we support and pray for our leaders. It is consistent with the glory of God when, those, when we call those around us to a deeper trust in God. People of God here at Clayton Church of Christ, do you want to see the glory of God fall on your life and on this place? Do you? Do you want to see the glory of God fall on your life and on this place? Each of us needs to live, in a, li- live a life in such a way to welcome the glory of God. It requires a, a different kind of response than the tide. ...than that of the multitudes. We need to stand against the tide. You know, as I was praying uh, about this yesterday... Can I, ...can I just be honest that this was a really hard message to produce... ...produce sounds like the wrong word, to prepare. Uh, it was a hard message because I've changed multiple times just really trying to find God's heart for it. And uh, I spent a lot of time praying, walking, seeking God. And yesterday, uh, I was asking the Lord to remind me about somebody who I I knew or who I had known of uh, that exhibited some of these qualities about, you know, having a different perspective and a different response, standing against the tide. And quite out of left field, I just remembered, uh, I was reminded about my grandfather, my pop, my dad's dad. His name is Frank Tucker. Now, I can't say that I ever remember a conversation with this man because uh, he passed away when I was very young. I have one personal memory of him, however, of me walking into the bathroom at my childhood home and he was there with his teeth out, all gummy, brushing his teeth like this. Kind of freaky for a four or five-year-old. But another memory uh, I have of him is more so from uh, what people tell me. And they say, "Your, Your grandfather, Frank, he loved to pray. And he would call out, hallelujah, in the middle of the service. Uh, Perhaps he was our church's very first Pentecostal, I don't know. You see, he was one of the founders of the church. He was there at the first meeting, um, among others, some 70 years ago, which this church was founded out of Springvale Church of Christ and with a group of families, they were trusting the Lord that he would make something out of their obedience, that's awesome. They didn't see the op- obstacles, they saw God. But the story that actually came to mind first was actually set in, set in a strange place. It was set uh, in a church board subcommittee meeting in 2016. Sounds exciting, a subcommittee meeting of the church. Long after Frank Tucker had passed away, uh, we're a period, uh, we were coming out of a period of unrest in the church and we were rewriting the church constitution. Again, it sounds exciting, doesn't it? The church rules, we're rewriting them. But we had to rewrite them to suit, suit the new size of this church and, uh, and our operation and how things were going. It was a difficult yet very important time. Tensions were high and there were very differing opinions in that space. Now, I can't remember the particular discussion and things that we were talking about that night, but we were at a point of final decision on some clause or some section, and and, and we were actually at a stalemate. We couldn't move forward on that particular area. Now, some of us had a particular position and others uh, disagreed, and we couldn't move forward until we reached a majority Then we went, we had a break in the meeting, and when we we returned, the chair of the meeting, he addressed us. And I'll never forget his words. It went something like this. I was reluctant, reluctant to concede on this matter, but as I reconsidered it, Frank Tucker, Paul's grandfather, was brought to mind a godly man of great character who I respected very much as a young Christian. And in light of this influence over me, I will adjust my position to the same as Paul on this matter and we will move forward. I was dumbfounded, not because we were able to move forward, not because we'd won, because that was not the spirit of the meeting. And I certainly wasn't twisting anybody's arm but because I was standing on the shoulder of giants of the faith who had built such a legacy that it would first influence me through my father and hopefully to my children. But further than that, the Frank Tuckers' steadfast witness to God's faithfulness would still speak to others many years after he died. There must have been something different about that guy. That guy, I wish I hadn't own. But I think I see him in my dad. So, just bringing it back to the text in Numbers 14, after everything that had happened the grumbling, the bad reports, the unbelief God said to the Israelites, Not one of you are going to enter the land. Not one of you who has treated me with contempt is going to enter the land. You will spend the next 40 years wandering in the desert until you die in the desert. Every one of you except those under 20. Imagine how that went down. In that moment, God looked on Caleb. He looked on Caleb and God said this in verse 24. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit, He has a different spirit, and he follows me wholeheartedly. I will bring him into the land he went into, and his descendants will inherit it. In that moment, God looked on Caleb and He said, "That guy, that guy, that guy I see there—he has a different spirit. He's different from the from the rest." He knows and he remembers my promises. He trusts in me and he is willing to walk in boldness. I see that in Joshua too and he will lead my people. Church today, oh, how how much I long that God would say that about me. Paul Tucker, I see you and you have a different spirit. You have a different spirit. that he would view my heart with all my failings and he would say there is something different in that guy that I can use. Something different about him that I can work through. And just like I would hope, like David, that I, that I would be considered a man after God's own heart, I too long to be a man with a different spirit on me, different than the world, different than the dominant, tired, and perhaps different than even sometimes safe church-going Christians. Is that you today? Would you stand with me today if you desired that God would say that over you? There is that man, there is that woman, there is that teenager, there is that child that I see has a different spirit who follows me wholeheartedly, who seeks to see in faith as I see from a different perspective who seeks to stand against the tide and respond differently according to the promises of God. Amen? These are the people that God seeks. Let us pray. Would you hold out your hands to God right now? Lord, we want to be the kind of people like Caleb. Caleb who has a different spirit, who you see is wholeheartedly running after you. When there might be giants ahead of us, we see you, the one that can slay the giants. When there's troubles in our path, in the way of the victory that you want to bring in this place for your glory, we will lift you higher because you are able over all these things, because you made promises and we believe in your word and we believe in your promise. Lord, I pray that you would look on us and you see the Clayton Church of Christ is a different church. They follow wholeheartedly after me. Today and tomorrow and forevermore that we are seen as different in your eyes. Lord, would you have your way over us today? Glorify your name in us. Glorify your name in this church. Glorify your name in our lives. Lord, we want to look different. We want to stand against the tide and honour you. Glory to your name. In Jesus' name.